Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, This month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbour, having taken into account the number of people there are. You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month, when all the people of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. That same night, they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire, along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or cooked in water, but roast it over the fire, head, legs, and inner parts. Do not leave any of it till morning. If some is left till morning, you must burn it. This is how you to eat it, with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn, both men and animals, And I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. This is a day you are to commemorate. For the generations to come, you shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. For seven days you are to eat bread made without yeast. On the first day, remove the yeast from your houses. For whoever eats anything with yeast in it from the first day until the seventh must be cut off from Israel. On the first day, hold a sacred assembly and another one on the seventh day. Do no work at all on these days except to prepare food for everyone to eat. That is all you may do. Celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread, because it was on this very day that I brought your divisions out of Egypt. Celebrate this day as a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. In the first month, you are to eat bread made without yeast, from the evening of the 14th day until the evening of the 21st day. For seven days, no yeast is to be found in your houses. And whoever eats anything with yeast in it must be cut off from the community of Israel, whether he is an alien or native-born. Eat nothing made with yeast. Wherever you live, you must eat unleavened bread. Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go at once and select the animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, Dip it into the blood in the basin and put some of the blood on the top 
and on both sides of the doorframe. Not one of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top and sides of the doorframe and will pass over that doorway. And he will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and strike you down. Obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants. When you enter the land that the Lord will give you, as he promised, observe this ceremony. And when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? Then tell them, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord, who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. Then the people bowed down and worshipped. The Israelites did just what the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on the throne to the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the dungeon and the firstborn of all the livestock as well. Pharaoh and all his officials and all the Egyptians got up during the night and there was loud wailing in Egypt for there was not a house without someone dead. Please do take your seats and it'll be a great help I think if you have your Bibles open at that reading from Exodus chapter 12 page 68 and as we turn back to God's word let's pray for his help. The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and he says this, For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. And so, Father, as we read and think about the words of this ancient true story that points us forward to the great work of Christ on our behalf, please, would you fill our hearts afresh with Joy and gratitude. May we be worshippers who know that we've been saved. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We are, I think, very good at putting people into brackets and giving people labels. We love to distinguish between people. Uh, We make distinctions based around the class, working class, middle class, upper class. We make distinctions based on education uneducated or or educated, introvert, extrovert, sporty, not sporty, funny, boring, confident, shy, from Yorkshire or or not from Yorkshire. Um, There's all kinds of ways that we make distinctions between people. We put people into groups and brackets. And as we do that, sometimes we would feel perhaps pride, you know, if we are from Yorkshire and we meet somebody who's not from Yorkshire, you know, we... um, the sense of pride or other times we feel despair we look at someone's education or, the, or their brilliance and we think I just have nothing compared to them and so we feel despair and so much of the way that our world works is based around these distinctions we put so much of our energy into manufacturing and clarifying and upholding these distinctions we want people to think that we are clever or well-rounded or likable that we are perhaps people of resource or, or power 
so that we are put into the right brackets in people's minds and it consumes us so often. But as we come to Exodus chapter 12, we discover that there is really only one distinction that actually matters and it is the distinction that God makes amongst people. This morning we come to the last and greatest plague, the plague of the firstborn, and we're going to see how God makes his distinction. The build-up to uh, this last plague actually began um, back in chapter 11, as uh, God, through Moses, uh, warned Pharaoh and Egypt that there was a final plague coming, a decisive moment when God would come and strike down the firstborn within Egypt. But if you have your Bibles open, if you glance back to chapter 11, verse 7, we discover that there's going to be a distinction in that moment of crisis, verse 7. But among the Israelites, not a dog will bark at any man or animal. Then you will know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. We've seen this distinction before, haven't we, throughout the plagues? We saw last week how God sent a a tremendous storm of hail, rain, and thunder across the land of Egypt. A remarkable storm. And yet, amazingly, the storm sidestepped the land of Israel, where they were staying. You can imagine one field devastated, flat. The next field left untouched, protected, flourishing. And so God is well, well able to make distinction. His, his radar, if you like, is precise enough to pick out one person and not another. That's very much how he can and has worked so far. But when we get to chapter 12 and our reading this morning, the pattern seems to break. We've seen it so far. God announces judgments, a plague. The plague comes. The people are protected. The Egyptians are judged. That's the pattern. But here in 12, the pattern seems to break down. 11 isn't followed by 12 and judgment straight away. No, instead, what we have in our reading this morning, it it sort of reads more like a a kind of cookery program. God giving his people instructions on how to cook a meal and how to kind of do a feast. And it, it just sort of feels like it stands out, like it doesn't really fit in with the flow of judgment and plagues that we've seen. And it it almost feels like it's a a distraction, a kind of sideshow to the main event of, of God judging the Egyptians. And we might just wonder, well, why now? Who cares about the feasts? But in fact, what we are looking at this morning is so much part of the main event. In fact, God says to Moses 12 verse 2 that the events that are going to happen in this chapter are so important that they are going to redefine the calendar year for Israel. This will mark the beginning of their new year from now on. It is that important up front center in their national identity because what we're going to see this morning is that in this last plague the distinction between God's people Israel and the Egyptians is not automatic in fact when God says he's going to send a final plague and strike down every firstborn in the land he means every firstborn in the land Egyptian and Israelite And we are discovering this morning that God's people need to be rescued, yes, from Egypt, but also, yes, from the judgment of God himself. And so on what basis does God make a distinction? And here in Exodus 12, we find an answer which stands for all of time, through every generation, 
for eternity. It is a momentous chapter. It changes everything about how we should view the world. It is a chapter which takes us straight to the heart of the gospel. It is a a chapter which marks out Christianity from being different from anything else in the world around us. So what do we find? How does God make a distinction? Three thoughts for us this morning. First of all, we see a lamb is needed. Look at verse three with me. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share it, share one with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people there are. Seems that this lamb is to be, in some sense, a representative for the household. Do you see the connection between the people of the house and the lamb? There needs to be a a connection in number, a, a kind of relating of lamb to people, uh, there's great care over that detail. And we see it uh, later on. Uh, end of verse four. You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. So this lamb is, a, is linked to the family. There's, there's a kind of representation of family and lamb going on. There also needs to be perfection as much as is possible. Verse five The people are to take not the runt of the flock, but a lamb without blemish or defect, the best there is from the flock. And then, verse 6, you're to kill it. At this stage, it it makes no sense. You just ask the people to take a a beautiful, cute, cuddly little lamb out of the flock, your, your best, You've asked the people to take it into your house for, for four days. And four days gives you enough time to get to know the lamb, perhaps to name it and to get used to it being part of the family. You start to know that that's your lamb and that household's got that lamb over there and it becomes part of the group. And then you're told to kill it and to take its blood and to spread it over the frames of your door. Why? Why the, the, the blood and the death and the sacrifice. Well, verse 12 tells us, on that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn, both men and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. And then here we go, verse 13. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. Do you see why? This perfect lamb without defect, this representative, it dies so that the household, the firstborn, will not die when God judges. That's the reason that that theologians call it propitiation, the turning aside of God's wrath from one person, turning it away. And here we see the wrath of God falls, if you like, on the lamb as the lamb dies. We see here that God's judgment is coming on everyone, to the whole world. It will come. And the question is, have you understood God's distinction? Do you know about the one place of safety where judgment won't fall because of the blood of the lamb? Notice at no point are we told that as the Lord passes through the land of Egypt, that he will take into account the relative education levels of the people. 
or the relative wealth of their bank accounts or their social standing within the hierarchy of that society or the opinion of others towards particular families or their postcode or popularity. These are human distinctions, the distinctions that we fret over and worry about and lose sleep over and expend our energy maintaining and establishing. And yet when it comes to this moment of crisis and judgment, they do not matter at all. God's people were not better than the Egyptians. In fact, we are told in Deuteronomy clearly that it was not because of Israel's righteousness, their, their moral behavior that God distinguished between them and the other nations. It was not because of their strength or their size. The distinction, as it was then and always is, is solely down to the blood of the Lamb. There might be some here this morning who read this and think, well, it's not great news for the firstborn. It's terrible. But if you're not a firstborn male, then you do escape the judgment, don't you? I mean, it's not great, but at least lots of people get through, don't they? Apart from the lamb. But that's, I think, to miss the whole point of what's happening here. The fact that God is choosing out the firstborn amongst the Egyptians and the Israelites, I think is so significant. The firstborn represents... Uh, continuation and hope that there'll be a future a survival and when God here kills the firstborn he is saying you cannot survive you cannot oppose me you cannot last in your opposition to me and here is a first a foretaste of the final judgment when everyone will experience that judgment And you see here how the whole family has to be gathered in under the roof, under the blood. Even though the firstborn is the one facing that particular moment of crisis, it's the whole family that needs to be under the blood. No one outside that night. Everyone's involved in this moment. Everyone needs the blood of the lamb. And so that's our first thought this morning. How does God distinguish? Well, simply a lamb is needed. But as we continue through chapter 12, we realize also that the lamb must be remembered. It's amazing, the human capacity for remembering details. God has given us a wonderful mind. We can hold tens of thousands of details in our minds at once. It is remarkable. We can remember back to our childhood, those early memories when we first were engaging with the world. We can remember our our schools, our sports teams, our families, our highs and lows of life, our our, our new families, our, our places of work, our holidays, all kinds of memories lodged away in our minds, and we can bring them back at will. Well, for most of us anyways, it's getting harder, I guess, as time goes on. But there's something strange about how our memory works. Uh, we can be very good at remembering trivial things. We can remember the price of milk at the co-op. We can remember what time our favorite TV program begins on Tuesday night. We can remember who won the FA Cup final back in 1984. But when it comes to the extraordinarily important question of how God makes a distinction between humanity, well, it seems humans have a tremendous capacity to forget Isn't that why before the Passover actually takes place, God explains to his people how they are to go on remembering the distinction. And that is at the heart of this chapter. He gives his people, uh, verse 14, these instructions. 
This is a day you are to commemorate for the generations to come. You shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. And then what follows is very detailed instructions for how God's people were to remember this moment of distinction, this Passover. It was to involve uh, sacred assemblies and gathering together and eating uh, bread without yeast to remind them of the speed of their exit from Egypt. And they were to set this uh, moment aside in their uh, life as a nation to remember this remarkable night because as humans we are very quick to forget how God distinguishes between people and the point of it is so clear verse 26 and when your children ask you what does this ceremony mean to you then tell them it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. This one night of Passover and distinction and judgment was to be etched into the hearts and minds of God's people. A once for all moment that was to be remembered again and again and again throughout their history. And just in case we think, oh, I would never forget this kind of rescue. Yeah, I'm a Christian, I understand. I would never forget this. Let's not be so arrogant to think that we wouldn't be the same as the people in that day. Because they surely would have thought, we will never forget a night like that night. Imagine, if you would, what it would have been like to be experiencing that night firsthand. You've got the family together, and you take the lamb and you kill it. The smell of blood. And you cook the meat, you take the blood and you paint it onto the doors of your house, you have the meal, and then you close the doors and you gather in for a long night. You can imagine the parents wondering what would happen. The dad perhaps going upstairs, tiptoeing into the, to the room to see if the, if the boy's okay, listening out for the sound of breathing, of, of tossing and turning in the bed. And then the wailing starts, perhaps just once over here, over there, over there. And then before long, a whole nation crying. Did you see those words in verse 30? Pharaoh and all his officials and all the Egyptians got up during the night and there was a loud wailing in Egypt for there was not a house without someone dead. You would never forget that night. And then there was the, the sudden haste, word spreading. Now's the time, we're, we're released, we're free. You can imagine the parents getting the children together, getting their supplies sorted out, rushing out of the house, escaping out of 400 years of slavery, rushing down the road out of Egypt. You would never forget a night like that, would you? The people of Israel did. And I suspect we would as well. You see, our spiritual memory is incredibly short. We might see with great clarity the extraordinary truth of how God makes a distinction between people. And we might believe it and own it. But what about next week or next month or next year? I wonder if there are some here today who look back to our younger days, perhaps the early days of our Christian life, when we saw things with such clarity, we understood so passionately that God had sent a rescuer into the world, a lamb to die for his people. We understood how that changed everything about the world, our priorities, our time, our energy, what mattered in life. 
But I wonder if as the years have gone on and the decades have passed, whether we've lost the clarity, the crystal clearness of understanding that that distinction matters before anything else. That we become bogged down with the cares of the world and the busyness of running a family and the mortgage and the, the pressures of life and looking after uh, other people. And we've lost the sharpness, the memory. We'll come back, if you would, this morning to remember how God makes a distinction. And we know if we've forgotten, don't we, in our hearts, when we lie awake at night worrying not about God's distinction, but rather what other people think of us. We fret and strain and work hard to keep up the image because for us that is where we gain salvation in the moment. Well, Christian, come back to the truth. Remember the lamb where God makes his distinction. Well, finally, the lamb fulfilled. This Passover feast was kept by his people for, for generations, for some 1,500 years. There were some so ups and downs along the way as they kept it. And then one night, one Passover, there was one man who gathered his followers together for that Passover meal, as they had done many times before. And as he got the bread and wine out and they started to share it, he did something absolutely extraordinary. After 1,500 years, he changed the words of the meal. Do you remember how Luke put it in his gospel as Jesus gathered with his disciples? He took the bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. He has changed the words. You see, the Lamb of Exodus was just a foretaste, a shadow of the reality. And when the reality came, Jesus Christ, the true Passover Lamb, that is where we find ultimate and true distinction, where we find true and ultimate rescue from God's judgment. He is our true and perfect representative. He lived a blameless life amongst the people that we could not lead He died on the cross in our place, taking God's wrath onto himself, the very wrath we deserve for how we have lived. And in taking it onto himself, we are promised protection and a passing over. The blood of Jesus has done what no lamb could do, taking away every stain of sin once for all time. And on the night before he died, Jesus said, remember Remember that the way that God makes a distinction between his people and everyone else is through the death of this Passover lamb. Jesus, his body given for us. This should be the daily food of the Christian. This should be the air that we breathe. It should be the internal combustion engine of our Christian hearts that drive us forward. Knowing that there is only one place of distinction. It is at the cross as this lamb is slain for us. And as we remember and own and reapply that death for us from generation to generation. Well, as I move to a close, just a couple of thoughts as we finish. Can I ask each one of us, what is the, 
What is the background music that we play in our lives? What's, what's on the playlist in our hearts? What's the, what's the narrative we tell ourselves each day as we, as we walk and drive and engage with life? Are we playing in our heads again and again? God, I, I'm trying really hard. I'm doing my best. I hope it's good enough for you. Or are we playing the tune of grace, the tune that says, God loves you and he has done everything that is needed to secure your salvation? I wonder what we teach our children, perhaps our grandchildren. Do we say to them, love Jesus, make sure that you love Jesus? If that is the only thing we say to them, then we are creating a burden that they cannot carry because no one loves Jesus perfectly. I wonder if instead, before we ever say anything else, we should say, do you know that Jesus loves you? Do you know that he took the initiative when you were far away and did everything required to rescue you and protect you from God's judgment? Do you know that Jesus loves you? Isn't that the logic of Exodus 12? As parents teach their children what the Passover means, not first go and love God, but first remember God loves you. We spend so much of our time and energy making distinctions, craving distinctions from other people. We weep, we cry, we laugh, we sing, we fret, we worry when we meet or don't meet the expectations we give ourselves and we live under the expectations of others. And I fear we so easily miss the one distinction that truly matters. The distinction on offer at the cross as the true Passover lamb dies to provide protection when judgment comes. When the people of Israel heard back in Exodus 12 about what was going to happen at this Passover and how God was going to distinguish between them and the Egyptians, do you remember how they responded? What's there in verse 27? Uh, right at the end of that verse. Then the people bowed down and worshipped. That's not a bad place to stop this morning, is it? When we truly believe that that is where we find the ultimate distinction, at the foot of the cross, God's action on our behalf, the blood covering us, well then we would worship, wouldn't we? As we come now to share this meal of bread and wine that reminds us of the work of the true Passover lamb dying on the cross for us. Let us come remembering that 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 cross is the one place of distinction. Let us come as people who have been washed and cleansed, knowing that we have been protected from God's judgment then and will be at the final day. And let's come worshiping. Let's be full of gratitude and joy. Everything that is needed has been done. Just a moment of quiet reflection and then Tim will lead us in our prayer. Let's pray.